0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would please turn with me to the Book of John, Chapter one. We're going to start there this evening. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have the verses on the screens. If you don't own a Bible, we would really like to give you one. Uh, See someone at the Connection Kiosk after the service. We always keep boxes of them around because we like giving them away for free. So we praise God for that. Uh, As I already mentioned, today we are going to begin our celebration of Advent. And I know some of us may not have grown up uh, celebrating Advent, but I am really thankful that here at Love City, we participate in this ancient tradition, of focusing our attention on the birth of our Savior King uh, for the entire month leading up to Christmas. And I think most of you are aware to some degree that as with just about every good thing God's ever given us, the Christmas season has been hijacked by a myriad of deceptive distractions. Uh, For many, the beauty and, and the wonder of the incarnation is the last thing on their mind in the weeks and days leading up to Christmas. Instead, oftentimes we end up focused on Uh, buying and receiving gifts, or the pressure of upcoming family gatherings. And uh, I I think, as far as I'm concerned, observing Advent is, is the best way I know to avoid the temptation of forgetting the point of Christmas. That Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh and was born in a barn to a virgin peasant girl and her carpenter husband. That this child was the promised Messiah who lived an absolutely perfect life, who submitted himself to a criminal's death upon the cross to atone for the sins of the world, and then rose triumphantly from the grave three days later. Amen. Now, the word advent is derived from the Latin word adventus, and that simply means coming. So every year, lots of followers of Jesus from around the world, we focus our hearts and minds on this precious truth that Jesus came just as was promised, and that he is coming again, just as was promised. Amen. Now, Matthew and Luke begin their gospel accounts with a literal explanation of the historical events around the birth of Jesus. But John, he takes a more theological approach. And reading this is going to set us up for where we're headed tonight. So hopefully you turn to John chapter 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses together. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through Him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Praise God for his word. Amen. Throughout human history, there have been a unifying set of questions that show up in just about every time and culture. It seems that almost every human that has ever lived, regardless of when and where, has experienced an innate curiosity about these things. These questions can be summarized in four words, but I'm going to give you a brief explanation of each. The four things are this. Origin, where do we come from? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, what should we do or not do? And destiny, where are we headed? There's a French artist by the name of Paul Guillon who painted a painting in 1898 that famously captures, both with its image and title, the longing of our hearts to have answers to these questions. We actually have the painting. It's there. And this painting is titled, get this, Where Do We Come From?, What Are We?, and Where Are We Going? That's the title of the painting. Now, Guggen was not a follower of Jesus, But instead, he had a personal blend of various religious beliefs. And sadly, he tried to commit suicide with arsenic right after completing this painting. And this fact, it also illustrates the struggle that humans have with these deep and nagging questions. When there is a lack of coherent, meaningful answers to quiet the longing in every human heart to understand these most basic and profound inquiries, many end up in a seemingly hopeless pit of despair. However, friends, this hopeless pit of despair is not an inevitable certainty. In fact, it's a tragic and unnecessary outcome. See, the God who made us, and and the very God who wove curiosity about these fundamental questions into the very fiber of our being, he has not left us without answers. He has given us his word where we can find coherent, trustworthy, and hopeful answers for our hearts which long to have them. Now, all of the scriptures are pointing us to the fact that God made us, that he has a plan for us, and that because of our sin, this plan involves the need for us to be rescued and redeemed from our self-made path of destruction. The pinnacle of this plan was that God himself would take on flesh and live among us so that he could die for us, taking the punishment we deserved and giving as a gift the righteousness that he earned. Now, when it comes to the first question of our origin, where we come from, we see a crystal clear answer interwoven with John's theological look at where Jesus came from. Now, the answer to that, of course, where Jesus came from, is that he didn't come from anywhere because he has always and eternally existed. And so he doesn't have an origin story in the way we typically think. Let me read you verses 1 through 4 again. And let's look for the crystal clear answer of where we came from. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The answer to our origin, friends, is that we come from God. We are his creation, and thankfully also recipients of his eternal affection. Now, the fact that humanity was created by God is a firm foundation from which we can safely explore the other big questions that we've mentioned. Because if we are all the product of random chance and naturalistic processes, then questions of meaning and morality and destiny are foolish, irrelevant, and hopelessly depressing. Now, a quick side note. The observable evidence for the fact that the cosmos, our planet, the life on it, all of these things, the evidence for that, that that we were designed by a mind of such infinite complexity that it defies explanation, all this evidence is astounding. And we have covered much of this evidence in other sermons. We're not going to get into that real deep tonight, but... If anyone here wants to nerd out later on the cosmological, biological, geological, or teleological evidence for the fact that God created us, let me know. Because I'm always willing to jump on that train and nerd out with you, okay? But there is evidence, lots of evidence, that the Bible's account of creation is trustworthy. And uh, I hope that even if you and I don't talk about it, we're all talking about it. We're all building each other up and pushing each other to think about these things and to not just think about them to the point where we can possibly maybe grasp the concepts, but enough to where we can teach them to others, because God's called us all to be disciple makers. Amen. Now, if all of the recorded history of God's interaction with his creation, like throughout the Old Testament, I'm talking about we've got, you know, we've got God showing up, sending plagues in Egypt. We've got God splitting the Red Sea. We've got you know, Moses on Mount Sinai, we've got, we've got all these things where, where God has very clearly come and, and intervened. We've got the conquest of Canaan and, and, and we've got Jericho falling down, right? All these times, we've got David knocking Goliath down with a stone. Like, if, if all of these historical things happening, if, if, if there was still some question left in the mind of humanity that, that God is our creator and that his words can be trusted, then at this juncture where, where we have the birth, of Jesus, which was long foretold with very specific details, that should seal the deal for us. I think the Red Sea splitting and all the rest of the stuff should have left very little, if any, question in our minds already that there is this one God of Israel who claims to be the supreme, right? But if you were doubting, then Jesus showing up just as was foretold in painstaking detail should seal the deal. The birth of Christ to a virgin girl in the town of Bethlehem, announced by angels, witnessed by shepherds, and acknowledged by magi who traveled hundreds of miles to confirm it, should settle the matter that God is God. And thus, we can trust that it is He who made us. So, what does it mean that we come from God? What does that mean? How does that practically apply? I'm going to give you these big ideas, and I'm only going to expound on them briefly because these will be the trail markers for where we'll be headed in the rest of this series. What does it mean that God made us? The first thing I'm going to give you is that means we have a purpose. We have a purpose. As Jesus grew, eventually going into public ministry, speaking and teaching about the kingdom of God, he narrowed down and simplified in a way that we so desperately need what our purpose is. Let me read you a portion from Matthew chapter 22. It starts in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. See, there's so many things we can focus on. There's so many divergent paths we could take to try to find our purpose. But when Jesus himself, the incarnate one, was asked, what is the most important commandment? He says that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to love our neighbor and our, as we love ourselves. And then he says the whole law and the prophets. All the other things that we could think about and worry about, it all boils down, it all hangs on this. I don't know if that's what Jesus was saying. Well, Paul clarified in Romans 13. He said, if you'll love your neighbors yourself, you'll fulfill the whole law. The intersection of these commands with our everyday life and the apex of obedience to loving God and loving people is to obey the last command Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven, which flows out of these that we just read. And that is to go into all the world and make disciples. Let me say what I just said in plainer English, because I'm not sure it hit you, because I, I don't know, I can feel the room. I'm saying loving God and loving people, the very pinnacle of doing that is to make Disciples. The very highest form of loving people, the very highest form of receiving love from God, really understanding what that means and then reflecting that to someone else is to help someone else find that same God, serve and obey and know and have the purpose that comes in being in relationship with that great God. Making disciples is the most loving thing we can possibly do. Now, I actually already started... You guys know I want to uncork that bottle and just spray it all over everybody in here and just keep going. But we're going, we're just going to leave it right there and we're going to, we'll do that next week. Okay. You guys hold me accountable. I'm not coming into that anymore tonight. All right. Somebody shout at me if I do, I'm going to stay away from it. There's more. We don't have time for it tonight. Got other things to give you. Okay. First thing I said, because God created us, that means we have a purpose. Man, when was the last time you prayed and thanked God that you have a purpose? Woo, buddy! You ever lived without a purpose? Find, if you haven't, find somebody that has and ask them about it. It's terrifying. It's depressing. It's the exact opposite of the way God created us and thus leads to all kinds of destruction. Thank God I have a purpose today. The second thing it means is we have an authority. We have an authority. In Judges 17, verse 6, we see a very accurate description of the perennial problem with humanity. Here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Woo! if that doesn't summarize our problem. If God was not our creator and thus able to provide for us an objective moral standard with which to judge ourselves, the chaos of subjective self-determination is the only real alternative. That's where you end up. And this is the dizzying and depressing position many who live as if God is not our creator find themselves in. On just about any issue, you can find groups of people who can explain to you the right way to think about it with fiery and seemingly righteous indignation. Is that right or wrong? It's right. The problem is you can find two groups who will tell you with unwavering certainty what the right way is to think about an issue, but their answers will be exactly opposite. Now what do I do, right? How do we know what is right? Why not just throw our hands in the air and and say the very ridiculous thing that many people do say, which is maybe everybody's right. Maybe it just comes down to you do you and I'll do me and maybe there is no objective reality in the middle of that. How do we not live enslaved by our own limited perception or the limited perception of the groups that we decide to associate ourselves with? How do we do that? Here's how we do it. We have to humbly acknowledge our limitation as mere humans to be the high authority on what is right and wrong. Well, how do I do that? Practice saying this every day at least once. I am not God. Go ahead. Let me make sure you can say it. Let me hear you say it right now. Say, I am not God. Go ahead. Ooh, didn't that feel good? Man, I felt the weight come up off my shoulders right there. That's good. Amen. If we were the greatest intelligence in existence, then yes. The incredible weight of determining these things would rest upon our shoulders. But thankfully, there is one far higher than us, whose vantage point allows for far better judgment. And as our creator, it is his right to determine these things. If not, if that's not the case, we are are all enslaved to the chaotic back and forth of subjective human reasoning. But there is freedom in submitting to the authority of our Creator God, who is holy and perfect and never changes. Amen. Amen. So we have a purpose because we come from God. We have an authority because we come from God. Third thing I'm going to give you is that we have a destiny. We have a destiny. If we are nothing more than the winners in a cosmic lottery, a lucky assembling of atoms and molecules and cells into living, breathing, thinking, and feeling being then that means we came from nowhere and we are going nowhere. And what happens in between doesn't matter very much. But if we are here because the Lord of the universe spoke all things into existence and made us for a purpose, then we know where we came from. We have a destination. And what happens in between is of inexpressible importance. Our God has revealed his desire for our destiny. He's not left us with a terrifying void of nothing as we look forward to the future. But he's given us instead a beautiful and certain hope. That we may move forward with anxious anticipation and with faith-filled confidence. Let me read you this from 2 Peter chapter 3. This is verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He continues, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people are you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're looking forward to something. The promise of eternity with God where righteousness dwells. We have a destiny. Our destiny is us and God forever. An eternal home in the very presence of God, unhindered by sin, all evil vanquished forever. And eternal love and joy and peace that we've only glimpsed with our eyes and sipped with our lips. But one day... We will see fully, and we will drink deeply. Amen. Looking forward to it. Hope you are too. I hope you feel that divine tension that Paul expressed when he said to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want to be here absolutely every moment that God needs me, that he wants me here for the accomplishing of his mission, but the very moment he's done... I'm not home. I can feel it. I know I will be one day, though. Thank you, Lord. We have a purpose. We have an authority. We have a destiny because we come from God. The last thing I'll give you tonight is that we have a father. We have a father. Let me read you verses 11 through 14. Once again, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory is of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was born and lived and died and rose from the grave to bring us this message. We have a heavenly father who knows how broken and sinful and wretched we really are. But instead of rejecting us in response to our rebellion against him, he paid the ultimate price to restore and redeem us. This is the message. This is the real message of Christmas. The birth of Christ settles once and for all the question of whether God is a good father. He isn't some absentee dad who couldn't be bothered with the outcome of the children he created. He came, got right down into the mess we created, and paid the ultimate price to cleanse us and save us. God is not a father who will change the standards based on his mood. He is perfectly holy and executes justice perfectly. And this means he could not just let our sin go unpunished. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So God could either let us have the eternal death we deserved, or send Jesus to die in our place as our perfect substitute. Somebody had to pay the price. And God in Christ raised his hand and said, I will. Because Jesus lived the perfect life all of us should have, and then received the punishment that all of us should have, the debt of sin hanging over our heads... It could no longer be held against us. And here is what is astounding. Our good father did not then point to that debt cancellation and say, all right, now if you try really hard to work this off, I'll count that and I'll let you have the benefit. That's not what he said. Here's what he said. He said, if you will just believe me that I've already done all the work necessary, I'll count that and let you have the benefit. Whew. This is the gospel of grace, friends. This is the good news. And it's the only hope for all mankind. It's our only hope. And what this means is that it's not just a cliche to say that we are never alone. It's not just empty words. It's a vibrant Reality that God our Father is for us and he desires a loving relationship with us. Let that hit you in the way that it should. I know you may have had good intention friends or, or family or somebody, a part of the household of faith say to you, hey, you're not alone. And, and, and because of the weight of your situation, because of, of how alone you felt, It didn't mean anything to you. It it fell off your back like like water off a duck's back. But friend, I'm asking you to think again. I'm asking you to come back and revisit again this simple truth. There's things that, you know, cliches happen for a reason. It's oftentimes because they are really very true and very worthwhile of being said. But there's a problem with us as humans. We have a sin of familiarity. We get to the point where, well, if, if I've heard something enough times or I've done something enough times or I've experienced something enough times, it's like, eh, I need something new. Well, friends, let this let this very old basic truth strike your heart and do its great work. You are not alone. Because you have a good father who has proven beyond the shadow of a doubt he will not abandon, that he will be faithful, that he sees you right where you're at, and that he cares. Well, how do I know that's true? Look at the cross and leave with no doubts of his goodness and his faithfulness and his commitment to your good, that's a good father. It's a committed father. It's a faithful father. I read you 2 Peter earlier, which says plainly that God's desire is for none to perish but to come to repentance. And that is what verse 12 here is talking about. When it talks about those who received Jesus. Let me read it to you again. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. God's desire is for none to perish. He's given the right to become children of God to those who have received Jesus. But what does that mean? Well, what it means is Jesus came preaching what we already know intuitively. Jesus came preaching that we are not perfect, that we have all sinned, and that our sins have caused a relational rift between us and our perfect Father. But instead of just leaving us to the eternal death that we've earned, He has offered us eternal life by grace through faith in Christ. And friends, this salvation that God offers, it's not only for eternity. It changes everything about how we walk out our life here on earth. Because we have Jesus by faith, we have a purpose. We can know right from wrong. And when we're facing trials, we can look forward in hope to the day when all our strivings cease. Hallelujah. May we all receive Christ today, not just the first time for eternal salvation, but each and every day for all the beauty and hope and peace and strength he gives freely to those who trust in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for all the precious truth contained within these first 14 verses the book of John. Thank you for the theological look at the incarnation. Thank you for letting us see behind the veil of what you were doing. Thank you that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God, I thank you for all the mystery that creates for us. I thank you for how that that whole statement right there, it, it exists outside of the paradigms we can even force into our logic boxes. But I thank you that what that does is again forces us to the place of humility that we belong, humbly acknowledging that we are not you. We are merely creations. We are nearly merely children and you, our great Father. So God, let us occupy the place we belong, a place of humble adoration and service to you. I thank you, God, that you have woven into the very fiber of our being an innate curiosity about these deep things. Thank you, God, that you don't push away our questions and our curiosity, but you draw us in close, that you have given us answers to many of the things that we wonder about. But I thank you in the the same token, God, that there are things you reserve for yourself. There are mysteries about who you are and what you do that you keep. Thank you, God, for those opportunities to worship. Thank you for those opportunities to be left in awe of your greatness, your sovereign glory, and your beauty. God, we thank you that you've given us purpose. Lord, I pray for every single person within the sound of my voice that has felt the pain of having a lack of purpose. I pray for those that maybe right now are going through that, that they're looking around to the right and to the left and they don't don't see a way forward. They don't see what the next right step is. God, I ask that you would come and that you would help them, that you would speak to them, that you would direct and guide them, that you would bring people into their life to help speak to that, God, to help guide them. Lord, I know it is your will that we have purpose as your people. Thank you, God, that you have given us standing purpose, that It supersedes the specifics of each of our life. You have given us commands. You have given us this beautiful mission of going into this world, being ambassadors of your gospel to reflect the love that you have first shown us. God, when we don't know what else to do, when we don't know specifically what to do, help us to fall back on that general mission, that that first thing you've called us to, and help us to see how that big purpose for our lives, it weaves into the specifics. Lord, because there's some of us, a lack of purpose is not our problem. We have too much of our own purpose. We're too focused on the specifics of our own life to the detriment of this great and glorious mission you've given us, to be gospel ambassadors, to be agents of love in this world, to be the light and salt that you called us to be. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the great, final authority. Thank you that we don't have to bear the weight of determining what is right and wrong. Lord, we know we're not equipped for that job. Thank you that you've given us your word, that you lead and guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you've given us a conscience. God, help us to submit to these beautiful gifts, to obey them for your glory and for our good. Father, help us to strike the balance. Help us to yearn for our heavenly country, but not to the point that We miss the opportunity to serve you here and now. God, that can be hard. For some of us, it it manifests itself as not even thinking about our eternal destiny. We get so caught up in the trappings of this world, we're not even thinking about it. There is no yearning. God, help us when we fall into that trap. For some of us, God, it's that we, we yearn so desperately for that great and glorious day when we escape all this striving, the effects of sin and evil in the world that we end up disengaged from the time and place where you've put us to be on mission. God, we don't want to be in either ditch. We want to do what it is you've put us here to do. God, help us to know how to do that well. We thank you for this Advent season. Thank you for turning our hearts again to the beauty of the incarnation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. Lord, help us as we go from here today. This time of year, it brings with it all kinds of new pressures. God, may we lay those burdens aside, fix our eyes and our hearts, our affections and our meditations upon the reason why everybody within our sphere of influence, their mentality has changed. The music they're listening to has changed. Their focus has changed. They're looking forward to this one thing. And it means different things to different people. But God, we know what it really is for. We know this is a celebration of the birth of the Messiah. And so, God, may our lives reflect that truth. and May we share that with as many people as we would have the chance. Please open those doors for us, God. and Give us the strength to walk through them. We love you, Master. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio.